Hello, and welcome to our first ever live in front of a studio audience, Confetti Break on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carrie Smith. This is my co-host, Carter Laren. And- This is so weird because you guys don't understand when you do a, or maybe, maybe you do, but when uh, doing a podcast, I don't ever see the audience. And so I still have stage fright being in front of people I can see. I'm, I'm working on it by putting myself in these situations. So welcome. And if you're watching live uh, at home, I just want to give everybody, if you could just say thank you to everyone who helped us pull this off today. And people who came in and helped us with the tech and Beverly can I give and a, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I want to give a complete, a quick Shout out to Spooner, who is operating camera. Go ahead, pan or zoom. Do something to show your dominance. There you go. <laughs> he's alive. Uh, and Jason over here is operating the, uh, he's going to be running around with mics for people. And Clutch, who is smart enough to know not to have us advertise his AV business, helped us out <laughs> with all the equipment and setup today. So thank you, Clutch. And, and uh, Beverly, everyone knows Beverly, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to thank her. I just want to point that she exists and there she is in the corner. <laughs> Excellent. So this is our first ever retreat. We hope to be able to do more of these in the future. And I'm so happy just to get to see people in person. And, and we had a lot of great conversations last night. I hope to have more today. We are going to be doing, I have to say, if you're watching from home, uh, some people have told us we have the most diverse list of workshops because we have Firearms 101 and then we have Dungeons and Dragons and then we have and knitting knitting and emergency medicine yeah. ham radio and what's improv, improv. <laughs> yeah. so there's something yeah. for everyone yeah and, and Austin's ev- definition of firearms 101 is pretty badass just to be clear uh, like, yes. he's like I'm like oh firearms 101 it's gonna be you know like the NRA thing uh, no it's like yeah yeah it's like oh have you have you trained with Craig Douglas? Because that's what the, or something. It's you know, it's real. Yeah, it should be great. I'm sorry, I'm so, very excited about that. Well, and everybody who's <laughs> leading the workshop, it's all from the unsafe space community. So people who are experts in different fields just step forward and said, you know, I can do this one and and stepped up to it. So that's going to be really exciting. And yeah, I want to do more of these. So yeah. So the one thing we forgot to do, at least I did. I have no idea what to talk about. Um, <laughs> Everything works. We're here. Everything works. Uh, yeah. I don't have any, I mean, I have some stories I can share, but I don't have any particular agenda. I think we so. should make most of this show just um, talking with people who are here. Yeah. You know, anybody who wants, who's not afraid to like come up to the mic and ask a question or maybe have a conversation and um, we can kind of yeah. try and recreate uh, in front of an audience who might be watching at home, sort of the conversations we've been having here anyway. Yeah. And oh, Beverly, can you also, if there's super chats, can you read them out when there's at, at whatever times so we're supposed to be paying attention to them? Okay, um, so you don't want me to interrupt you or you want to continue? I mean, yeah, probably you should interrupt. You should probably. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, just, just yell it out in the middle. Um, I, I'm going to, I'll share something because okay. it relates to the retreat. Um, Kind of. I knew I needed a haircut badly. So I finally went to get a haircut on Thursday because I like I can kind of hide that it's wild hair a little bit on camera at home. But I'm like, ah, I'm, I look like a crazy person. So uh, I did. 
Oh, okay. it looks, it looks, like my sideburns, I could pull them out to like here. They're like, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I'm like, because uh, I just don't like to go out and I don't care. So <laughs> I get to get my hair cut. <laughs> And I went to outside. I was not in San Francisco proper. I was in. I was outside San Francisco, and someone else. It was like a guy's barber shop, right? So it was you know guys talking sports and whatever. So, but one of the guys, uh, after he gave a nice little soliloquy about the gold standard to his barber, uh, <laughs> explained that he was here because his cousin has a barber shop in San Francisco. He always went, but you have to be vaccinated now to go inside. And he's now taking his business outside of San Francisco because wow. he doesn't he doesn't have the vaccine. He doesn't want to go get the vaccine. He doesn't like being told to get the vaccine. And so it it occurred to me. I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing uh, that the the split more pronounced between cities and their suburbs, yeah. where as these super woke cities start clamping down and, and becoming more like China, we'll start to see the few people in this city who were kind of tolerant, but this is the last straw move to the suburbs. And maybe we'll start to see more of a contrast between the suburbs and the cities that we haven't I seen. I think in you're right. Week. And I think we're going to see people actually leaving some of those States as well. Yeah. Entirely. Cause I mean, we've talked about it and even with people in uh, the unsafe space group and a lot of people, a lot of friends, a lot of other podcasters we talk to are considering leaving places like New York and California entirely. Mm -hmm. And yeah. looking at places like Texas as an option. So I think we're, what is that, that Chinese curse? I call it a proverb. You call it a curse. Well, it is. The Chinese call it a curse. It's may you live in interesting times. Yeah, we live in interesting <laughs> times. So Because in inter interesting times is typically, you know, upheavals and people die. Like lots of, usually interesting times are not like, everything's great and we have right. great art. Right. Right. The stuff you learn about in history is typically so-and-so killed a bunch of people with yeah. a guillotine. That was very interesting. One of the things I <laughs> one of the things I want to do when we get back, I haven't told you this yet, but I've told uh -oh. some people. <laughs> I'm always right. the last to know, by the way. That's just, yeah. I want to do um because I've been hearing from lots of people, friends and strangers and people who watch our show who are facing these vaccine mandates at work. In the, mm. in the in the states, they're really using private companies to compel people, to force people, to coerce people, and it's threatening your livelihood. And so people are yeah. put in these impossible situations. And um, I know someone whose um, whose spouse was just told they may not be able to travel for work anymore, which the majority of the work is travel. They may not be able to meet with clients anymore. Um, there's another one who shared that her husband's job is offering their employees a bonus of $1,500 if they get the shot and get this $3,000 if they reach 70% of the staff getting the shot. So they're, they're not only have an incentive to get this new uh, vaccine, they have an incentive to pressure their coworkers so they can get double the money and I, I just think that's incredibly immoral and unethical. And there's so many people in situations like this now that um, what I'd like to do is have a roundtable where we just talk to people and we can keep them anonymous, but just people talking about what kind of pressures and coercion they're facing um, in their workplace. 
Did you make Comics Division is here, and I'm telling him where we are. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. Great. He texted him. I can't not. I'm not going to sit here for two hours while he wanders. The oh yeah, of course. <laughs> you should tell him. You should tell him. <laughs> but yeah, I just I think stuff like this is just I don't know. It's the stuff we talk about on the show. It's just incredibly scary. And uh, I was rereading some stuff about uh, this dictator that I don't know if you name will get demonetized. But I was reading some stuff about the way that a lot of authoritarianism starts off sometimes is with this sort of disgust factor, this, this um, demonizing certain groups and also reacting towards them with disgust with like a focus on public health and needing to clean up disease and make things healthier and sort of scapegoating certain groups as being unclean or needing right. to be segregated from society and using language uh, yes. like that's de that's uh, that changes the species to like a pair like parasites or yes. or termites or like they'll they'll pick a bug or a, a disgusting creature and use that as a label against the group yes. that they want yeah and so what are we what are we what kind of language are we using right now about people about entire groups of people i i know that twitter is not the majority of people but they, but twitter places like that you can kind of get a pulse of what where the culture is heading because those people have a big microphone and they have a lot of cultural power. They have a lot of institutional power. Um, and, and on Twitter, I'm telling you, I mean, you've seen it. The dehumanizing language is out of control. I, don't, I actually disagree that Twitter is – I used to say Twitter's not real life. And I am not really on it much. I mean, it's not on my phone. Like I, I, People know I, if you follow me. I tweet sometimes. There will be like a day where I'll tweet. Um, but I actually think it is kind of real life in the sense that uh, – People perceive it as real life, which means whatever happens on Twitter, even if people aren't on Twitter, they end up doing they, they end up manifesting whatever it is that's on Twitter. So like oh, yeah. if you're running a company, a lot of look, a lot of I know Jack Dorsey probably spends a lot of time on Twitter, but a lot of people like exec level people at companies don't have time to be on Twitter. They just they're not on Twitter 24-7. They don't they wouldn't care. But a lot of people around them are on Twitter and especially they, especially older, um, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but when you're older and you're on an exec team or something, you're usually looking to like the young 20 somethings for a pulse on what's going on in the culture. Cause you kind of, you're worried about just being out of touch with the culture. Cause you're like, you know, when Snapchat came out, I still, I'm like, I don't understand it. Right. Like I said it at the time, I still don't understand Snapchat, but you know, I was running a different company at the time. And I was like, I had someone on the team who's like, no, Snapchat's awesome. And it's going to take off. And this is why. And, she was right, uh, but she was because she was young enough to care. Um, but I think they so they're they're being for cultural issues a lot of times, especially if they're just pragmatists and they don't have like a, a strong set of philosophical principles that they care about implementing. Then they just they're going to like ask the younger generation and they're going to pay attention to people who pay attention to social media. Those people are viewed as having their finger on the pulse because mm -hmm. the pulse is viewed as Twitter. Yes. And so that, even if they're not on Twitter, all that stuff then gets manifest. So if I'm running a company and you're the head of HR and we're both fogies who don't pay attention to social media, but you know, Jason is on social media and he's, and we're like, Jason, tell us what, you know, what's going on. He's like, well, you guys really need to start having these sessions about diversity, equity, inclusion. And also you need to do blah, blah, blah. And we should be using different pronouns. And we're just going to, if we're just pragmatists, we're like, all right, let's do it. And Carrie will be like, great, I'll set up a program. Who should I hire, Jason? And like, that's what will happen. 
and we might not really be on Twitter. And so you could say it's not the real world, but we might have power over an entire organization and that it all comes through into that organization as a result, even though the organization isn't on Twitter and maybe 80% of the people aren't really on Twitter. And just look at the power they have to look at the results. I mean, the Gina Carano, she got fired because of a Twitter mob. It's like, you know, right. they, they don't and have most people at Disney actually people. aren't on Twitter. I, yeah. I, I mean, they might have an account, but I guarantee I knew like I worked with Disney Imagineering for a while. Like they're like engineers that like they don't like. So, yeah, they're more creative. A lot of them, but like they don't. Some of them are on Twitter, but they're not like tweeting about pronouns all day long. They don't care as much, but some of the Google people are sure. Well, <laughs> Google actually hires yeah. sections of people to do that all day long. Yeah. Right. Like Google's very about creating the culture intentionally um but i like yeah gina got canceled but probably most people that work with gina didn't want her to be canceled that right. wasn't there they did they weren't looking at those tweets saying or the beep bop boop or whatever i forget what she got canceled for right but they weren't looking at that saying oh i don't want to work with this bigot mm-hmm. probably no one that worked with her really cared about that it was just it's the mob know. yeah it's the mob yeah so All I, think, right. I think what we'll do is we have a lot of people here. So uh, we get a chance to talk to anybody who wants to. Why don't we just open it up now? Yeah, let's open it up. Um, yeah, let's. Oh, you got Super Chats? Yeah, go with Super Chats. And Jason will run around with mics. Uh, Chris Scars gives us $10. Just left California and moved to Montana due to my uni requiring vaccine or test for testing. We need to free Carter and his family. <laughs> free me. <laughs> free Carter. <laughs> Um, it's hard to get out, let me tell you. Two-day <laughs> self-defense law. May we, li- okay, I was May we listen to interesting YouTube programs. Hashtag unsafe space. <laughs> I don't you. know. Is that a curse? I don't know what that is. Um, all right, yeah. Does anyone have anything they want to talk about? Is this? Are you just all here to be quiet and watch us? That's creepy. Is the camera super gonna, zoomed in? Shout out to Comics Division. <laughs> we can, we hey, can. man. He just, he just came. All right, well, we can. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask some questions, and I know some of you. Someone last night was telling me about uh, the what they've the the FBI's assessment now of January sixth. Who was that? Was it was telling talking to me oh. about? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Fine, Jason. <laughs> it can be you. Can you like give a synopsis of what you're telling me? Uh, it was just an article that came out from, I think, Reuters put it out that said that the FBI... Has, a little closer. The FBI has said that the uh, um, they have no indication that it was ever pre-planned or that there's any conspiracy or that even Trump incited anything. So all of this media hysteria and even the impeachment was bogus. So even the FBI is saying that now is what you're saying? Yes. That's a shock. <laughs> Almost like we investigated ourselves and found nothing wrong. Hmm. This is this is as shocking to me as Russian collusion. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I found that I don't know. I found that funny just because yeah. it's so. And I, I feel but that's like I'm not going to. That's loud. I didn't hear about that. That's not going to be in the news. Yeah. Uh, Reuters put it out. I think NBC put it out. Um, I don't know how well it'll be covered in the the, the cable news. But, but then, but then Lizzo. Then there were a bunch of articles about Lizzo's. Um, 
fat phobic comments about her album, which is really important. Wait, who are you talking about? He doesn't even know. <laughs> who the hell's Lizzo? It doesn't matter. Yes. I'm just making a joke about how the news cycle, then it's like something new all of a sudden, oh. like a couple days ago. Is that Elizabeth Four Warren? Four or five days ago is? already. <laughs> no? Lizzo is a is a uh, artist. Music. Oh, oh, it sounds like a lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Artist. Okay. Fair enough. No. Someone else, uh, who else was talking to me about something? Oh, damn it. I know, but there was something, there was something really interesting that we were talking about with respect to, uh, Secession. It was you, Stephen, uh, and Wes. Actually, we were talking about Secession um, last night. Can you, if you don't mind, Stephen, can you like start the conversation again a little bit so we can all? Yeah, have it? I, I asked Carter whether uh, how what are the mechanics of if, if what are the mechanics of Secession if if you were if if Texas was to do it. How, what would be the mechanics of actually putting it in motion? You know, how would you get it? Yeah. How would you I didn't it? have a good answer, but it was a good conversation. Yeah. Um, where's Keith, the hat guy? Where's, oh, there is Keith. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's have Keith. Whoa. Sorry about that. You're going to have to come out here. By the way, someone introduced Keith to Larry at some point. Uh, okay. Hi, Larry. Oops. All right. It's definitely on now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, uh, the first thing to look at is the way secessions happened in the past, if you want to look at a little bit of history. So uh, the way our founders seceded from England is they got together, the people sent representatives to uh, Philadelphia, and they voted, and they wrote the Declaration of Independence, and they said that people have the right to self-rule. And they sent a letter to the king and said, here's, here's what you've been doing to us. Um, we're going to form our own government. Uh, you don't have the uh, moral authority or the right to, to govern people that don't want to be governed, that, that governments are created by the people that, and they're set up by how they would govern. So that's how Texas should do it. Um, Texas has done it three times that I know of. Maybe the Texans people can help me out if there's more than three, but Texas seceded from Spain uh, and joined Mexico. Then Texas seceded from Mexico and formed the Republic of Texas, 1840 or so. Um, that lasted for 10 years. A lot of people don't know Texas was a, Texas is actually its own country. Uh, Carter told me if Texas seceded now, it'd be the 10th biggest GDP in the world. So uh, 1836. 1836. Thanks. So that's when Texas nine years. Thank you. We got some people from Austin here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Texas has done it. Um, and then Texas did it a third time, which uh, we know a little more about because they tell us about in school. Um, pretty much the same way. The, uh, States individually seceded and joined the um, CSA, the Confederate States of America. Uh, the states themselves decided to secede. They didn't secede together. And then they joined a different union, wrote a new constitution, picked the president. Uh, then they had this little battle problem. And after that, the Supreme Court said, you don't have the right to secede. But that's what politically connected lawyers do. You know, They, they side with the government. So um, I think if Texas decided to see it again, they'd do it the same way they did the last three times. Well, that, I, I, I agree it could be done. How would you, uh, what would, what would Joe Biden say to all this? Like, how would you, how would you get this done? <laughs> Wait, somebody taught say, me a word last Texas? night. <laughs> no, no, no. Somebody taught me a word last night that he said, oh. that's what he would say. What's that word? True. <laughs> 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 
Wait, <laughs> what was that? Say that again. <laughs> Take the mic and do that into the mic. <laughs> True and honest shot of depression. <laughs> that's a great word. I that's that's a Biden that word. Yes, that's pretty awesome. That is no, bad that. cat care. <laughs> he believes in having bad cat care. I, I, I guess that, a good a good question I'd ask. So would Joe Biden do what Lincoln did? Yeah. Would he do what the King did? Uh, or would he, would he do what Mexico did when Texas first seceded, which try a little bit and then realize that, oh, we better not mess with Texas. Um, I, I don't know. I I hope I would hope that Joe Biden would not send bombers to Austin, which is what Lincoln would have done. He's still in history. Lincoln might have just nuked Austin. Austin he might leave alone because yeah, we already lost enough, Austin. Yeah. <laughs> that would be his home base. <laughs> That's where they would put the uh, the Air Force base when they were attacking Texas. Um all right, Houston, Dallas. Um, I don't think you would do that, but but I don't know. Predicting the future is a terrible track record. So I'm not going to do it on the air. I want to jump in here a little bit because one of the one of my contentions is if you want to secede, well, I think there's two things to consider, which I can put aside for a moment about secession generally, uh, where to like where to secede. But if you're going to secede, if it was going to be Texas, I think you had, before you do all of the mechanics that you just talked about, like meeting and declaring stuff and whatever. I think you have to get the rest of the country to hate Texas completely in the sense of like, we don't want them to be part of us. They're a pain in our ass. Everyone already thinks of them as separate. We don't like Texas. They're always causing problems. Like you need to get it to the sense, uh, you need to get it to the point where people aren't wanting to keep Texas in the union at all. Um, but don't you run the risk of if they hate Texas? wanting to fight us for but you do you do but i think if you if you don't go i think you have to make a choice if they if they really like texas well first of all they're not going to really like like here's the thing you can't say we have an enclave of liberty where we're, we're going to start ignoring federal laws and like they're they're already going to want to hate texas and i think you need to double down on it so, but in, not in a just they hate you way but in a um not not just that they hate you, but that you're you're annoying as part of the union, right? Like constantly proposing amendments or like just bothering, like bothering the union in a way that's like these people are just annoying. They're the weirdos, and they just want to be left alone because they're already going to hate you for what you're trying to do. They don't want liberty, so they're going to hate anyone who starts talking about liberty. But I think you have to annoy them, and I think you need to have a PR campaign generally to start having people think of Texas as separate. You need to like. I don't know. I'm not a PR person, but I would maybe like probably start trying to re-reference times in history when Texas was its own nation and its previous um, its previous secession. Um, start talking about Texas as a separate place. If I was like in Texas, I would be like, "Hey, why don't you leave America and come to Texas?" Like before, we were not part of America. I would like start using language like that so people sort of to separate in their mind. Texas is different from America. This is part of why, without even realizing it for years now, I refer to the time zone here as Texas time. Right. <laughs> right. But I think we central. need to double down on all yeah. that language. All right. We got yeah. someone who wants to jump yeah, in. Yeah, Austin. Uh, yeah, actually, I didn't plan on talking about this, but there is actually a campaign right now that is popularizing it. In fact, there's four in Texas. Yeah. There's four different organizations. But the biggest one, I think, has the has there's a whole book on it. And I think I'm not trying to plug in organizations or anything here, but the Texas Nationalist Movement by Daniel Miller is probably the most serious look at this right now. It's got 413,000 members in Texas. Uh, I've met Daniel Miller. There's quite a bit there. But what does it actually look like? Well, that's a really, really good question. And 
they don't use the word secession, but right now there was a bill in uh, the last legislative session called House Bill 1359. And it passed in the House and it was killed in the Senate by Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor. What was it? It was simply a poll that was going to say, should Texas become its own nation again, that, that they're going to pull, but it'd be sponsored by the, be, you know, through the government right now, by backed by state, state law that would kind of have to demand some action. So in response to that, there's a very unusual elect electorate law that Texas is doing right now where they're gathering uh, signatures right now through the Texas Nationalist Movement. And what they're doing is you're going to sign it and it's going to it's 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 going to basically force with seven with 72, I'm sorry, 77,000 up to 85,000. It's going to force everybody's uh, signatures enough in a petition to put place this issue on the ballot of the Republican primary in Texas. Interesting. Wow. It is happening right now. And it has an, we have another four four months, I think, until you actually uh, until they close the petition time for a petition signatures. So we need to gather more signatures on this issue. I'm not trying to plug this up, but there, it is really happening. If you want it to happen, this if is you, happen, you, if you yeah, wanted route. this to this become most, like a serious a serious issue, right? They're going to do one for the Democratic Party as well. Initial polling says that about over 60 percent of Texas Republicans and over 30 percent of Texas Democrats are support the idea of getting out. Of That's the pretty impressive. It's incredible. Yeah. So, I, I would use different language if I were them. I would I would not say, do we want to become our own nation? I would say, we are our own nation. Do we want to leave the federation of other nations that we joined previously? They, they use like, the word inevitable for that reason. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. I, the, the idea that you're seceding from a, a country is, I think we need to start changing the language around that because the Constitution is an agreement between independent nations that have agreed to do some stuff. And the problem with it is, it's become its own entity. Like that's the problem. The federal government has become what it was not supposed to be. So I think Texas needs to like, it, the attitude I think needs to be, we're already our own country. Yeah. We just don't want to be part of your club anymore. Well, I think, right? I think that's the argument. They don't use the word secession. And a, a couple of groups do, but two of them do not for that reason. They say, that, oh, good. They say okay. that we have entered into a contract of the constitution and it's not being upheld. So therefore we're, we're just breaking. We're breaking yeah. away, and we're holding our side of the the deal. We want a divorce. Yeah. The other one that's worth mentioning, um, it's public knowledge, but not well circulated right now, is that formerly the head of the Republican Party in Texas was uh, Alan West, and he got really big on Tim Pool oh, yeah. and everything else there. Alan West stepped down from being the head of the Republican Party in Texas, so he can probably run for governor. Alan West is talking with the Texas National Movement, and he has made claims in the past that are very similar to along those lines. Okay, um, there is a serious. So there's just, there are some places you can look for some serious issues right now, and there's obviously the book Texit, which was pulled from Amazon, but that's a pretty serious look at like what does it actually look like right now. Texas has a gold. Yeah. Texas actually has a gold reserve in Leander. A lot of people don't know about. They have massive economy, and you have one of the biggest in the United States. So there there are definitely some serious efforts here. They're just not well known by most people. Yeah. So I one question: if so, if anybody does support this effort, see what I think we need to do is at least get, whether you think we should be seceding or not i don't even think we're there yet but i i want to be at the place where we can have these conversations so i want to be i want to culturally help people talk about secession without it being some joke or something you know where it's like laughed off we need to start talking about it this isn't something that is fantasy land and so if people if you just support that maybe you don't support seceding but you want to support like let's talk about our options how would they do that? If you said there's four more months or. Yeah, there's four months to actually like look at the petition signatures right now. But what it will do is it will lock it into a time that we can actually count the ballots, certify the real and then throw them in and say, OK, it's going to be on the Republican ballot. Now you have a platform that people have to talk about or at least address and be, be um, 
they, they, that is an issue on the Republican ballot, meaning that candidates now have to look at that for uh, where their stance is on the Republican ballot to run the Republican primary. The other thing is the next, uh, the next session in Texas, uh, all the districts are being, re are being redistricted. Every seat's up for election. The, it's in the favor right now of, of TNM's movement. That, the, 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 the tide is actually in their favor mathematically because of the redistricting. So now you have politicians that have to acknowledge or they have to come up with a stance on this. And then you have a, a popular poll by people saying what their stances are, and now no one can shut up about it. It, it, it enters into the conversation. You get for the Democratic Party, too, as well. You get even more. So that, that the idea right now is that we're just going to – we threw it in the House. We had, we had the government talking about it. It's not happening. We're going to go ahead and actually force it into the primary so that people actually start talking about this and popularizing it. Yeah. Well, that'll legitimize the, the conversation and yeah. culture, which is great. That's yeah. the idea. Um, but I, I want to I wanna step back because I think we're talking about- I'm so sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, we're talking about a great thing, which is the logistics of how to pull this off, which is which is cool. Yeah. I'm, I know a lot of people aren't bought into Texas generally. I'm not 100% bought in, although I'm 90% bought into this being the right state. But I want to give my- I have. I think there are two criteria. If you're if you're thinking about seceding, if you think about the United States as a ship, and you want a lifeboat, right? Like you got to get off. The ship is sinking. Uh, I don't think too many people would argue with that. But the ship is sinking. You want a lifeboat. Light a lifeboat. I think there's there's two things that you want. A lifeboat for liberty. Yeah. One is one one thing that matters is the culture of the the lifeboat, the culture of the the state that you want to seed. And that culture, do they understand the principles of liberty, and are they willing to like? Do they really understand philosophically the principles of liberty? I'm not. Texas does not score high on my score chart for that. It's okay. It's better than you know the People's Republic of California, right? It's better than New York. It's not better than New Hampshire. It's probably not better than Wyoming or Idaho. Like it's probably not better than some others, maybe Montana, I don't know. But like it, they're probably not better on that front. So that's a strike against Texas, but they're not horrible. They're, you know, you could maybe do it. But the where I, where they win for me is the second question is like, what's the feasibility that the lifeboat will not be shot upon by the sinking ship or or, or will, can, can fight against it? Like how can it actually work? New Hampshire, you know, we were just in New Hampshire for Porkfest. Libertarians are there. They're taking over New Hampshire. They're actually having decent success. New Hampshire's becoming more libertarian. They want to secede. Their argument is, well, we have a deep sea port and a tiny, tiny border with Canada. So, you know, we, we could do it. But let's be honest. New Hampshire can't secede. <laughs> like, there's not the population to fight. It's surrounded by... Uh, it's surrounded by hostile states. Um, Canada's probably more hostile than Mexico for an international border um, in terms of wokeness and, and that kind of stuff, right? Um, and I don't think the federal government would, there's no, there's no, there's none of that cultural separation. The federal government wouldn't let, like New Hampshire just wouldn't work culturally like people would if someone to new hampshire seceding should we stop them i think everyone would be everyone in the u.s would kind of say almost everyone new hampshire no they're, they're right next to vermont and like massachusetts is right there like what do you mean new hampshire and maine's like they're right kind of in the middle of everything and they're this tiny new england state that was been around for you know it's basically the beginning um and not not exactly they weren't one of their thir first 13 but they've been around for you know close to the beginning so and and there's not a lot of people, so it's pretty easy to like shut them up. 
Uh, so I don't think New Hampshire can – I don't think they do well on that category. Texas wins hands down on most likely to actually succeed in seceding for can whatever I, reasons. And I, can, the culture is different. So when you're saying like the culture of liberty – Maybe we're talking about different. Maybe I'm thinking of something different. But outside of Austin, I think there is a good culture for liberty in Texas. There's a culture of independence, but not not an understanding of the philosophic principles of liberty and why it matters. Maybe, right? But but culturally, yes, I think people already think of, you know, Texas. A lot of Texans don't think of themselves as Northerners or Southerners. It's just they're Texans. They're their own distinct. Right. That's that separateness, which I think falls into that second category of why they can win because they've got that culture of like, yeah. Yeah, plus I'm gonna add a few things to your list. We're a large state and right, right. That's and another reason. I'm, Population, right? size, yeah. Um so we're a large state and there's lots of cool cities and lots of places to visit. We have the best music and the best food. Barbecue. <laughs> Our barbecue. Now I come from South Carolina where we have a mustard-based barbecue. It's you can't even compare it to the barbecue here in Texas. It's so much better. Um, <laughs> energy, energy independence. independence. Yep. Okay. Lots, lots more deep sea port space and like ac- ocean access. Much we bigger border with Mexico. Beautiful yep. wildflowers in the summer because Lady Bird Johnson put all you know all along the highways. Don't talk about the negatives. Oh. We're trying to sell people. <laughs> I'm doing a sales pitch. Oh, sorry. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Texas also has a lot of militias, um, which is important because going back to what Carter was asking. Actually, it was Keith that was asking, will the federal United States try to invade Texas and attack it? And history has shown that the United States isn't even afraid to bomb its own countries back in or its own citizens. Back in 1921 with the Tulsa race riots, Tulsa got airbombed by the United States. And that was that's an American city. So a foreign country that is now said, screw you to the United States. Well, the United States is going to respond the way the United States does. Maybe. They're likely to. And they are and likely it, to. And you can't count on them not responding that way, which right. means you need to be able to fight back. And, yes. and, and Texas, if you were right. going to pick but a state that could fight a, back, it would probably be Texas. Right. right. But the goal should be – everything should be talked about in terms of let's have a peaceful separation and amicable. Oh, actually, yeah. Yes. I don't – secession does not mean war. Right. Secession means we want out. Um and like, but that's, you can't that's get out if you can't keep. You know, no, no, no. I, I, I agree. I'm just, and and that's a question about what state to choose, right? Which yeah. is like, we want a state with resources, but you want that anyway, right? Even if even if you get out peacefully, you still want a state that can defend itself and have its own yeah. natural resources and be. That's why I was saying that Texas, Texas has a lot of militias. They have people who are able to defend themselves. Right. And New Hampshire, just because of the population and probably the culture there too. I don't know as much about New Hampshire. They aren't likely to have that sort of established resources. I don't know, but I imagine the gun to person ratio is higher in Texas. We also have the best (laughs) dance halls. (laughs) But the worst dances. (laughs) I'm just teasing you. Look, wow, Gene really got pissed about that. Yeah. Don't you, look, don't mess with Texas in this I don't even dance. I don't don't, Um. So, like, yeah, so all that's super important. There's another thing that we were talking about last night uh, with respect to Texas, which is um, money. Uh, I think, I don't know, someone mentioned something about like some kind of gold standard kind of movement or something going on in Texas, but I think you would need to have logistically, you need people's, res- you need stability because there will be an economic 
event that happens, like there'll be a crash of some, like, because there's going to be a massive disruption. Um, and you want to make sure there's some stability. So you need to have, I'm not for government currency, so I would want to do this privately, although I don't think Texas is ready for that argument. So um, maybe I won't try it yet, but you would want some sort of commodity backed, probably gold, um, standard currency that where there's a, it's pegged the dollar for some period of, or some, you know, there's like a, a dollar peg that maybe slowly loosens, like the peg comes off at some point, right? And so, but you need stability so that the day that they declare we're no longer part, my dollar in Texas still works the same way as it would have before. And actually I can cross the border into Louisiana and it still works there. Um, and so that that financial system needs to be in place. Otherwise I think there's a little bit of chaos, right? Cause it's like, well, what, what, what are we gonna use as money? Yeah. Isn't there like already a structure in place of cryptocurrency that would be an international form of cryptocurrency? You could switch to cryptocurrency, but um, we can have a cryptocurrency discussion. There are not, viable massively distributed cryptocurrencies that can take the place of money at all right now there are cryptocurrencies that could do it you've never heard of them um so that's a problem right bitcoin i bitcoin has i i looked i did the math once i don't remember what it was but it's like it's orders of magnitude it can handle orders of magnitude fewer transactions than visa can in a day like you can't possibly run a country on bitcoin you can't now it's useful um, but you need some other backup and it would need to be rolled out. So you would probably want something like Apple Pay, not Apple Pay, but you'd probably want something that was kind of rolled out that became a Texas standard. So it was like, oh, when you're in Texas, you can use Texas bucks and they're directly, you know, I've got my thing and then my app has Texas bucks and I'm going to go to Starbucks and pay and maybe even get some mainstream companies to be like, yeah, we'll take Texas bucks because they're directly convertible to the dollars and there's already apps and it happens or something like that. Um, someone had a comment over there about money. Well, just <clears throat> test, test. Um, <clears throat> maybe I'm just a party pooper, and it's interesting for the sake of discussion. No, no, be the party pooper. It's uh, cool, man. That's yeah, usually my job. Well, to me, it's like we're it's like the liberals have us in a fight or flight situation, and we're opting kind of early for flight. Because to me, I mean, no matter how far you back, 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 and sequester your people. Uh, they're still going to want whatever you've got, even if you've got one acre and you're all crammed standing room only on one acre. They'll want to tell you what you can do on your one little acre that you've got left. They'll never be happy until they have everything and they subjugate everyone, this woke group. I um, agree with you, but that's why you need <clears throat> to concentrate your forces. So when you're outnumbered, which we are, um, because most people are sheep, right? So they don't count. They're going to get swayed by whatever. Um, there's very few people that are liberty minded that want to protect that last acre or whatever it is. Right. Um, and there are definitely people in power who are exactly what we're describing. Like they will go after everything down to the last acre. When you're outnumbered strategically, you don't take your forces and fight every battle. You concentrate, you go to the weakest area. The weakest area for the U S is Texas. You go, you go to the weakest area, you put all your forces there and you're like, this is what we're defending. And if you and we're, we're going to defend this, and then frankly, a free society will be way more successful than this crap that we have now. So, like Texas, if it became more free and could, you know, shrug and get the the burden of the federal government off of its back, Texas would thrive. And my guess is, you would have like Louisiana would be like, you're looking pretty hot over there, Tech. Like, can I? What's going on? 
what's going on over there? Mind if we join? Like you can certainly grow. And I, and I don't, I'm not saying we should retreat to a state in order to, you know, try and be Randy Weaver that's moved out into the woods. Cause we know how that ends. Right. But you do need to retreat to a state, not to retreat, but to like, okay, we need a base to operate from. To fortify. You, you need a fort. Yeah, thank you. You need to Which fortify. is our word of the day. Woo! Pee Wee Herman style. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're gonna... yeah. And you have like confetti. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Can you it'll finish be, though uh, your, your question? Were you about to say something else? Well, I was just going to say it. It'll be interesting to see how the midterms and 24 goes uh, when these uh, discussions will will uh, be accelerated in one way or the other. Am I the only one who I don't I don't have any interest. Um, maybe maybe it'll peak again, but right now I just don't have a lot of interest in politics anymore. I'm kind of I don't I don't like the idea of midterms and stuff. And, and maybe this is wrong of me, but I'm just sort of I think it's I, I'm starting to think of it all, as all one uniparty. And it's just like we talked about the other day. What color are you wearing? Are you wearing red or blue? But you're all in the same party for the most part. And I'm disappointed even in, you know, there was the one uh, uh, Texas state representative from Fredericksburg who put forward this uh, bill about secession. About you know, What's his name? Kyle, Kyle Biederman. And then all these other Republicans just mocked and mobbed him why you know why is why is the party doing that it's almost like i don't see really a choice anymore when it comes to like they're both just what's what's the quote you use all the time they're they're leftists doing the speed limit oh it's michael yeah. malice's quote right conservatives are progressives driving the speed limit yeah um and we yeah. had this conversation what there was someone else that we oh we said oh ted cruz is much better and we we're like yeah but ted cruz is Progressive driving in a school zone. Like, okay, it's nice. Thanks for driving even more slowly, but you're still going in the wrong direction. Um, so, and I'm not yeah. going to, you know, at one point I was thinking, I'm not even, I guess I'll become a non-voter. That's not what's going to happen. I've decided, no, I'm going to continue to vote. I'm going to pick the person I think is the most liberal option. And when I say liberal, you guys know what I mean. I mean, liberty-minded. I mean, actual classical liberal. Classical um, yeah. And that's who I'm going to vote for. And I don't care what party, what party they're in. Um, but I just have less, I guess I have less interest and faith in politics at anything above the local level. I'm very interested suddenly in the school board, what's happening in my town and in, in um, the city council. We just got one of our woke city council members just resigned, which is I think a great victory. And um, you know, those things are, those things really matter. Those I things just, matter. Can I just add one last yeah. thing? I just wanted to say one last thing, and it's a little digression, but my wife and I have really super enjoyed coming down here to Texas from Tri-Cities, Washington, and meeting so many wonderful people of all different backgrounds. Uh, and uh, this is what freedom looks like, guys. This is what's happening, I believe, or appears on the Internet to be happening all over the country. And... Uh, I just want to say um glad you all come down here and I hope that this kind of thing takes off in the next couple of years and we try to get our country back. <laughs> was that the was that the Wheaton SJW coming out the snapping and the, and the, and the, and the, yeah. point of personal privilege. <laughs> yeah. Um 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about politics either at the national level so much. I do think there's probably going to be a little bit weird. Tony, go there he is. There's probably going to be a little bit of a Republican, you know, a little bit of a success in the midterm, I guess. But yeah, the Republic, I, I, I don't think we can win on the net. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to be defeatist. I just, at some point you have to realize like, we can't win at the national level. The, like, I am not even a big fan of Trump, but he, but but at least he was trying to disrupt, like, oops, turn the like disrupt the house. He was the bull in the china shop. He, he failed. He failed. Trump he, failed. But he came in where they're like, "We're in the uniparty. Are you red or blue?" And he's like, "I'm orange." Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot might not to like about him. But if you're worried about if you wanted things to be overturned or upset in any major way, right? There's that, you know, you have the kind of merging of the Democrats and Republicans. They, they're like this giant ship. That's really hard to steer. And the question was, if we, if, if there's a land, or if there's a water, a mine, this, if the ship hits this orange mine, will it move? No, the answer is no, the ship will not move. The orange mine loses. And so if that doesn't work, the idea that you're going to vote for, liberty-minded people to take over and you're ever going to win in the United States, I think is a fantasy. Um, so, but it doesn't mean that, that liberty is over. It just means, I'm sorry, but like Vermont's going to have to be on their own for a while. Like other states are going to have to deal with the consequences of their votes, like California. And you've got to find, I love this community, by the way, Tony, thank you for that comment. Like this was so cool. Cause we don't even agree on, on, almost anything like we had a lot of conversations last night there's lots of disagreement but everyone at least is like don't hit me and don't take my stuff and it's like all right i won't hit you and i won't take your stuff like that's cool um and don't inject me with anything please. yeah right <laughs> um and that's not you know it's a minor it sounds like a pretty lame thing to agree on right like that doesn't it it sounds like you're like this just sounds like such a mind like what a stupid thing to agree on. It's such an obvious thing, but the, the fact is we're living in bizarro clown world where most people don't agree with that very basic thing. So, you know, we need a community like that. Larry, you want to say something? I, okay. Larry, oh. then Nathan. Oh, okay. Sorry, Nathan. Um, I, I think we've hit a tipping point, and I don't know when that was, but I'm, I'm still following the politics, but I'm only following it out of curiosity. Yeah. I, I don't have, I don't harbor any, uh, any idea that it's going to make any difference in where this nation is going. It, it's, it's history. I think maybe the tipping point started when the Tea Party movement of the last decade actually failed. Uh, it, it, it did some good and made some change, but it really made, uh, it didn't make enough changes. And one of the old stories that, uh, that we ran into, when we were traveling on vacation, we ran out of some medication and we needed to get it in our CVS pharmacy was in a different state. It was uh, the medication was ivermectin, so we're on ivermectin. Oh we my were, God! I think you need to leave. We just we, our we video in, <laughs> dropped off YouTube. We were in we were the in the state of Washington. In right we were in the state of Washington trying to get it refilled at a CVS, and the pharmacist called us back and said, um, "Are you using this for prophylactic uh, um, COVID?" And we said, "Yeah," and he said. The state won't allow me to dispense it at all. He and said, no. in order for me to dispense it, I'm going to have to call your doctor. And if your doctor says it's prophylactic, the state of Washington will not permit me to dispense it for that reason. 
And I, I know when the state can tell a pharmacist that the pharmacist can't dispense a medication that's prescribed by a licensed physician, we're headed the wrong way. It's crazy town. Yeah, it's crazy. But but I want to. I, I agree. It's crazy, and it's a, it's a, it's. But I want to point something out that maybe a lot of people just let slide. When the state can tell you that she needs a license to cut my hair, that was too far. Also, it's been too far a long time, right? Like, all we did was say, "Well, I don't care because I don't care about barbers." So, like, all right. That's cool, but eventually you're going to care because they're going to get between you and your doctor and you and your grocer and you and your everything. The state shouldn't have any relationship. Like, the state's a third party in your bedroom, for God's sake. Like, they, the state should, every relationship is a relationship with one other person, right? So, I don't, I don't know your name. I meet you yet. Find a city cycling. Oh, you're fine at city cycling. Okay, cool. Hi, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> we have, and we don't have much of a relationship because we just met, but like, but it's ours. Who, where does anyone, a majority of people somewhere else, like this is party A and party B. Where does party C get off saying they have the right to talk about what we do? Like he wants to cut my hair or I want to, you know, sell him heroin so he can inject it. Like that's a dumb idea, but it's our dumb idea. Um, and the moment that you, the moment that you decide a bunch of people can get in between our relationship for our own good, you're lost. You've lost the bat. And this is why I've never been, not never, but for 20 some odd years, I've not been a conservative. Conservatives lost the battle because they stopped defending things on principle because they didn't like the thing. It disgusted them a little bit or they thought it was bad. I don't think it's a good idea for him to inject. I don't have any to sell you. Uh, I think it's uh, it spins gotcha, right? But I I agree with a lot of the conservative sensibilities of like, well, that's not a good idea, and that's bad, and you shouldn't do that. Sure, but it's worse for you to get involved uh, in in letting someone make that decision. And the conservatives just have never they haven't been able to defend these ideas philosophically, which is why they consistently, consistently lose it's just lose 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 um is it because they both have things that they want to they feel it's immoral where we're talking about someone a leftist or someone on the right if they feel it's immoral then they think it needs to be with everything that they think is I, I mean i think so but i think there's something deeper i the thing that i think leftists are and i don't mean the average sjw on the street but i mean like the leftist establishment is better at they have philosophic principles and they stick to them and they argue from principles. They're shit principles, right? They're absolutely evil principles, but they have principles. Like what? <laughs> well, for example, they believe that they believe in equality and I'm not saying equity. I'm saying equality. Equality is false. People are not equal. You were born with different genetics than I was in a different circumstance. You have different preferences. I do. There's nothing equal about us other than we're both human and like we should be treated. But that's not what, that's not equality. That's just humanity. Well, but, but they believe in, this is where we get, we've had this argument before. When people hear you say that, they, they, what they hear is you're saying we shouldn't have equality under the law. 
and that's not what you're saying. No, but what but they but neither do they mean equality under the law when when people talk about equality. This is why I want to be careful with language because if you just start throwing around the word equality, well, the word equality, there's a reason that you add under the law because it qualifies equality. Equality is false. <laughs> so, if you're just running around yelling equality, people take that false thing. A lot of people don't break it down, so they don't know what they're saying is false. They might think under the law. And it gets to the next person, like the telephone game, and they're not sure exactly what they think, but it sounds good, and the people are equal, and like that's cool. Uh, and it and it be, that actually does metastasize into equity. That's where I know people love when I use metastasize. It's not a Quebec. It's not the way. Uh, <laughs> but be, that's where equity comes from. Because what they do is they look out at the world then and they make ob they make obvious observations. Stephen has more cool cars than Jason. There's an inequity. They're not equal, right? Right. They're not equal. Therefore, that's a problem because everyone is equal. That's that's the mentality because there's not there, there's not a, there's not a lot of philosophic nuance. Very few people say, "Oh, I know what you mean by equality." What I actually mean is this, and they are actually equal under the law. And they just look at that and they say they're unequal. Therefore, there's a systemic problem, and there is not a systemic problem with inequality. There's a systemic problem with, or not systemic, but there's it's not a problem. Inequality is not a problem unequal treatment for actions is a problem. <laughs> like if he murders someone and he murders something, the same response needs to happen. If he speeds and he speeds, the same response needs to happen. Like if they both apply for a job, actually employers well, should be able to do what they want. But if you're a good employer, you should treat both on their merits, not like Jason has cooler glasses. If right? you both apply to college and one of you happens to be Asian, you shouldn't be discriminated right. against because you're Asian and have to score much higher than people of right. a different race. But I think all but, that, that equity stuff comes from not being careful with words. I think it comes from sloppy language and it comes from saying equality, right? Right. Right, but you don't have a quality of opportunity either. No, that's, but, that's also false. That's a false premise. No one has a quality of opportunity. It doesn't happen. You can't unless you want communism. But again, when people say that, they mean under the law, usually. The mm. law should, no, I think most people do. Look, when I use no, equality of opportunity, I mean under the law. I don't mean uh, Carter. Well, you, I you expect, do. Yeah, I mean under the law. <laughs> we, the, the law should not treat you and I differently and say, Carrie, you can't get a bank loan, uh, but Carter, you can. The law should because, have nothing to do with Because of your sex or your what? I know, but the law should not should not discriminate. I'm just using that as an example. Sure, sure. And the law should not discriminate on the basis of of race or sex or sexuality or religion. The sure, law should sure. not. And that's when I say equality of opportunity. That's what I mean. And I hear what you're saying. You're saying, uh, you know, we're born into different households. We're going to have right. different opportunities based on who our parents are, our circumstance, where we grow up. All these right, different right. factors are our, our uh, height, our IQ, our health. Right. You know, I completely agree with that. But I, my, my point is, I think you're an anomaly. I think most people that hear equality of opportunity don't. It's not the narrow definition you just really? gave. Really? I don't know. Don't. Yeah, no, because you hear people say, well, he got to go to a good school because he lives in the suburbs and he went to a crappy school because he lives in a bad section and that's not equal opportunity. We need to fix it, right? Sorry. Um, we, need, we, right, we need to fix it. Um, 
Right. There should be a law. <laughs> there should right? be a law. And, and the no. problem where this creeps in, it's easy to say if you have it, let's just imagine a small government. It's easy to say if you've got a small government, what are some things the small, I mean, we all know my stance on government generally. Let's, let's take the minarchist stance for a moment and say like, okay, there needs to be a court system. We have to hire a court clerk. It's completely correct to have a, have a rules about hiring a court clerk. That's like, you can't discriminate based on sex, age, sexuality, race, whatever, like fine. You gotta, you gotta go on qualifications. And if you're going to have a small government, that needs to be the law. You need to treat people equally in the hiring of your court clerk, right? Or in the application of the law in the court, right? That all makes sense. The problem is because the government's taken over so much that the example I just gave about him growing up in the suburbs and him growing up in the inner city, it's an issue because of public schools, <laughs> which shouldn't exist. So, so now we have like, well, we funded his growing up and we, right, his parents paid the taxes for his school, but whatever, like we funded this, there's public schools, this is a public thing, it's a public service. Now suddenly those public services need to be equal everywhere. And now because we, we provided the public school service um, and there's, they, there's unequal outcome of the public school service, well, we're, we, we assume that, that that inequity is happening because of some other thing, and that needs to be corrected in college. So now, and we're funding colleges. So now we like the whole thing. The whole thing seeps every into everything because the government has its fingers in being a barber, being a pharmacist, being a doctor. Government shouldn't be involved in that. They're involved in that because of med school and licensing requirements. Like the government is involved in everything. And so, the minute you accept the premise that like the government should we should have equality of opportunity or equality under the law. That's all great. Unless the law is everywhere. In right. which case, now you're screwed because you don't actually have the freedom to do what you want. You get equity under the law. That's what exactly. Thank you, Stephen. Um, sorry, I might be bringing the conversation back a little bit with uh, kind of the restructuring, maybe not the secession part, but you know, we, we hear stories about like the, the different counties that, like like the state of Jefferson and that kind of thing, where the different counties are trying to leave a state that they're currently in to join like-minded yeah. other counties or whatever. That happened in where I live. There were West Virginia actually off, you know, I don't know if y'all remember that. They offered a couple of counties in Western Virginia to say, hey, you can come and join West Virginia if you'd like when they were trying to uh, do a lot of the anti-gun uh, laws and so forth. What do you guys think about, because it seems like everywhere, no matter which state, the rural counties think very differently than all the urban areas. So how do you feel like we can foster the conversations that like we're having here amongst like localities around the country to, can there be a restructuring of state lines? Can there be, you know, is that even possible? Like, how do you, how do you see that fleshing out over mm -hmm. time? And how do, how do we, as people that go back to where we live, how can we foster more of that type? Wasn't of Oregon doing this also? So um, there's a Greater Idaho or Great Idaho or something project, which is yeah, like Greater California. There's some. Oh, I, there's some. Um, is there some counties of Washington? I think that want to be involved in Oregon as well. I, I'd heard about. I'd heard about at least one or two counties wanting to leave Colorado to join Wyoming. Yeah, that's happening as that's well. Another one. So I think if you're gonna set up a if if you're gonna set up a government, so my my path to volunteerism does is not like let's overthrow everything and have n nothing right now because I don't think people are. I don't think people will accept that, but I think you need to provide a path to smaller and smaller government, the limit of which is zero. 
And one of those paths is when you have a, let's say Texas secedes, there's always another level of government beneath the level of government you're at until you get down to families or whatever, right? <laughs> right? So there's always a level of government beneath that. I think you need to, at the very beginning, at the outset, say, Texas is comprised of these counties. You're here voluntarily. If the county wants to cease being a part of Texas, you may. You have to tell us there's a process. This is the process. You have to write in a process of secession so that there is no question that it's allowed. Um, you could also write in a process of acquisition and tell neighboring, hey, you're, these are the terms under which you're welcome. These are the terms, and anyone who wants to secede, this is how you secede. I think at the county level, county would need to do the same thing. Hey, this town, you want to not be part of us anymore? Here's how this happens. And you, I think you can go, eventually that can go all the way down. But I think, at, let's just talk about the, the high level for a minute. I don't know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a legal, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a legal scholar. I don't know the legality. I imagine it varies from state to state of counties and their relationship with the state and what they're allowed to do. I don't know. I don't even know. I imagine since the federal government thinks it's in charge of everything, I imagine they would say that they have a say in whether a county can move from one state to another. I don't know where that would come from constitutionally other than the Commerce Clause from where everything comes from. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's a great idea. And I we might actually be in a much better position if the founders of the US and then the people who wrote the state constitutions have thought of this and, and included it early on. If they had said, look, here's the constitution, it's agreement between the states, here's how a state leaves, there's a process, it's done. We probably never would have had the Civil War um, because states would have just left. Um, and and we would not have to be, if states did this thing, we wouldn't have to have this conversation about should there be a state of Jefferson, because there would be, right? It, it would be done. So I think it's great, I love it. Uh, Jason, you said something. Got a question. Okay, or a comment. Hi, um, I was just wondering: Has anybody heard anything about the Convention of States? Yes. Where's Where's the hat guy? Can, you, the hat can guy. you introduce yourself to us first, so we know who you are? Oh, I'm Karen Nelson. Oh, oh hi, hi, Karen. Hi. <laughs> the guy behind you in the yeah, straw I'm hat will you. answer all your questions about the Convention of States from a completely unbiased perspective. Um, <laughs> Well, I can start by plugging, uh, there were two episodes of Safe Space where we talked about this. Uh, one was about me getting fired from the Convention of States. Um, <laughs> I worked for Convention of States for two years. Uh, for those that don't know, there's two different ways in the Constitution that it could be modified. One, it's covered in Article 5. The way that all 27 amendments so far have been done, uh, Congress proposes amendment. They hash it out. They agree on it. Both houses agree. Two-thirds of Congress passed it, and it goes to the states to be ratified. The other way uh, that has never been used is that the states can get together in a meeting and do the same thing Congress does, which is hash out an agreement, two-thirds vote, then it goes out to the states to be ratified by three-quarters. Um, Convention of States is one of several organizations that's working to amend the Constitution that second way. Um, and the, conceptually, it's along the same thing that this we've been talking about the last half hour, that the, the people have the right to determine what their government is doing. And what Convention of States wants to do is three topics. Limit the scope and authority of the federal government back to what it says in the Constitution originally. Uh, put term limits on offices other than the president. If you think term limits are a good idea for president, why not 
Congress. Uh, why not uh, the Senate, the House, Supreme Court, maybe? Um, maybe some other offices. Uh, and then force fiscal responsibility on them. Uh, so there is a whole episode. We talk about it at length. Uh, and we can put that in the show notes for the, for the link. Um, I don't know if you want to get into any more detail than that, but the, but it's along the same lines of the the people have the authority to determine what the central government is, and uh, we you know I went to government schools. So I don't think I learned it there, but the the uh, an an interesting question to think about the federal government and the state relationship is to recognize that the states existed for 13 years before the federal government was created, and the Constitution is a contract or a compact between the states. It created the federal government. So legally, the federal government is not a party to the Constitution. That's why when the president goes and negotiates a treaty, uh, all he does is negotiate because it's easier to have one guy go do that. The states individually have to approve it. So the president comes back, he gives it to the Senate. The Senate is supposed to represent the states. It's the states approving it. Same thing when Congress decides to change the federal government. They're changing the structure of the federal government. D.C., nobody in D.C. can do that. They don't have the authority to do that. They have to go to the higher authority, which is the states. That's basically the whole thing. Yeah, they, can I just... Uh, yeah, the number is... Uh, two years ago, it was 15. I think there's one more about to vote for it. So it's about 15 so far. Uh, to call a convention. I just... There's one thing I want to point about the, out about the Convention of States as a concept, which I don't know if Keith is in agreement now, but he definitely was not in agreement with me before. But I don't know if you changed your position. I'm hoping I've persuaded him. Um, I, I can't remember if it was Lysander Spooner or Murray Rothbard who said this, but I'm going to paraphrase it. It's look, the Constitution, there's only two options. Either the Constitution intended for us to get this far and become what we are today, and it needs to be thrown away or it's useless, or it didn't intend for us to get this far, in which case it needs to be thrown away because it's useless. It didn't work. It's a piece of paper. It did not work. There's a lot of things I like about the Constitution. It didn't work. We're here. It didn't work. It's not even arguable. It did not work. It worked for a while. It, like, it took a while to die, but if you don't think where we are is what was intended, then it didn't work. And so my my pushback on the convention of states is you can write whatever words you want on a piece of paper you can go go have your convention make some new language they're not going to listen to you right the problem is the culture controls how they interpret the piece of paper and so if by some miracle two-thirds of the states approved the amendments that they want you wouldn't need you wouldn't need to have the amendments because the culture would be sufficient that they wouldn't be getting away with all the crap they're doing. They're getting away with it because they want to, and most people don't care, and this is what they want. So I think the, the frustrating thing is if you had enough clout to actually get changes like that, you would also not be in the situation you're in today because people would look at decisions based on the Commerce Clause and say, what the hell are you smoking? That's not, this is not what we intended. So I, I'm i not a big fan of fiddling with some language in the Constitution. I just don't, I, I think it's a waste of energy. Keith can make a counter argument right now. 
Uh, all right, my uh, reply to that is that I agree with you now. <laughs> and uh, that has happened. I've known Carter for a long time. Every once in a while, that does happen. He, um, Rarely. There, one of the so the the old episode and uh, the first episode we did on this was I was gung ho convention of states guy. We can <laughs> fix this. And Carter pushed back, and he presented a lot of good arguments. Uh, then I spent like my second year in convention of states presenting some of those arguments internally. Uh, that can get you thrown out of convention of states. <laughs> um, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who called it a paper barrier. So basically, a constitution is a paper barrier. Um, I push back if somebody says Second Amendment rights. There's no such thing as a Second Amendment right. Like your right does not come from the Second Amendment. When you use terms like that, you're making people think that the government is the is who rights come from. That's not where rights come from. Don't think about it that way. Rights are inherent in being a person. Um, and changing wording in a document. Uh, here's an example: shall make no law. Like, oh, should we make that clear? Like, like, what do you what do you want to do to make shall make no law clearer? Um, yeah, you know, There's they they think they and it's possible. I I do think that some of the usurpations and the the absolute ludicrous things that the federal government is doing, based on like the Commerce Clause, um, you know, that could be clarified and and it could probably help. But you know, it might make it more difficult for the federal government to regulate how much water is in the toilet when you flush it under the Commerce Clause, um, or how much how much wheat you can grow in your backyard to feed your cow. Um, they do that under commerce because they say it could affect international commerce. But in the end, it's a paper barrier. If the states and the people don't enforce it, it's not going to do anything. So anyway, I, I agree. You were I, right. Can I jump in for a second? Yeah, and then I want to respond to something he said. Okay. About the rights, though. <laughs> about where rights come from. This is something I only started thinking about recently. And that's kind of embarrassing, but I'm not embarrassed by it. I, I know a lot of people who like myself, who, who didn't, who I know people who still aren't thinking about these things and people older than me who aren't thinking about these things. And, and a lot of people on the left in particular, where I came, come from, we don't think about what rights are. And I would say, if you, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, Oh, it, it's what's laid out in the constitution. And I would definitely have, I would think of it as something that came from the government that was written down on a piece of paper and therefore I have it. Well, what does that do? If you're on the left and you're watching this, what is that? What position are you in where you think that your rights come from a governing body? Are you owned by them? Is that where your rights come from? And what are rights? And so now I see this has become such a problem in the way adults don't know what rights are, that adults think, that that now I see people online, adults, saying that um, that they have a right to X, Y, and Z that they have a right to keep their neighbor home and make sure their neighbor doesn't get to leave his house or go to work or provide for his kids because they have a right not to get sick if their neighbor might be sick and their neighbor might come near them. That's not your, that is not a right. That's, that's, I wouldn't even call that a privilege. That's you trying to deny your neighbor his right to life, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You're trying to deny him that right because you're, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you want to control. You want to have control over whether you get sick or not. Well, you, the, look, the way that you have control is over, that's personal responsibility. You choose every day what risk you take, the whole, you know, the risk reward thing that we've talked about. Um, 
over the past couple of years doing this podcast with you, I've really started to think about those things differently. And now it blows my mind when I'm speaking to an adult who will say things like, uh, you shouldn't be allowed. How dare you shouldn't be allowed to go to a, a grocery store. You shouldn't be allowed to do this because I might get sick. Well, I guess what? Don't go to the grocery store. That's on you then if you're afraid. Do you get in the car every day? If you get in the car every day, you're taking everyone's life in your hands around you. But you still choose to do that. And if you if you actually believed that nobody should be able to, to do ever do anything that might harm someone else, then you would never leave your house. So you're a hypocrite if you drive and you tell me that I can't go to work or go to the supermarket. Um, I just, it, it, it irks me. And I think, I know you want to get back to the convention of states. I just want to say, if you're having these conversations with people around you, and especially if you're talking to someone on the left, I mean, try not to be as, I'm going to sound a little irritated. Don't be as irritated as I am. But at, I would say, at, just ask them, like, where do you think rights come from? They probably haven't thought about it before. They haven't. And the first time, the first time I, I mean, I've had a problem with how rights have been viewed by people for, you know, since I've been, since I met Keith or whatever, 25 years ago or whatever. But um, the first time I, I really saw it go to a level where I was like, what was when people started saying they had a right to healthcare. And I was like, where, where the hell did that come from? Like, I get that you've been confused about rights this whole time, but what? Because <laughs> like, they think it's so they think of obvious. rights as stuff the government gives you. Well, right, and 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 they they conflate what what Ayn Rand called the material versus the man made, or the sorry the natural versus the man made. They 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 view uh, man made things as just there to be pr to be provided by the universe. So like healthcare is if Keith was a doctor, your right to healthcare means your right to enslave Keith. That's what that means, yes. right? That's what that means. So like. Uh, if it, it's which, like a southern, which it's like denies a southerner. him his natural right not to be enslaved. Right, it's like a southerner from the, the 17 or 1800s saying, "I have a right to cotton." It's like, well, that's that's a very weird way to defend your <laughs> slave ownership, right? Like, I I get you do have a right to go plant your own cotton, yeah, and and yeah. pick your own cotton, but you don't have a right to own people to do it. And when you say, "I have a right to healthcare," well, you do have a right to perform surgery on yourself, like that, absolutely. Or to hire a doctor to pay yeah, for someone. Right, but, but you don't have a right for anyone else to provide it for you. For that you get by, you don't even have a right to pay them. They have to voluntarily say, I'm willing to take your money. Right. Like, that's how that works, right? So, yeah, I, I do want to get really back to this, this one thing really quickly. There's a great, I think it was the second to last essay in the Anne's Handbook that we just read for Book Club. It's, a, it's an essay called The Myth of the Rule of Law. I highly encourage anyone like who's even contemplating convention of states type of stuff or action at the federal level or changing documents um, to read that. It, so I, I mentioned this on the book club, but I've, I never have read any anarchists. I've never read, like I came to my own voluntarist conclusions on my own. I never read any of the classical people. And that book was the first time I was reading Lysander Spooner or Marie Rothbard or anyone. And so, so most of the book, I was like, yeah, this is good. They're making great arguments. I came to these conclusions on my own. Fine. That essay, I had not thought about. Um, and the, the contents of that essay were completely new to me. And it's a really interesting argument about how there is actually no such thing as the rule of law. It's always the rule of man. Um, and no matter what you do, there is, there's no way to get out of it. And it's really, it's written by a lawyer. 
Uh, it's 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 a really interesting essay, and I'll just some I want to just summarize my argument against filling with the Constitution. In I just remembered I had a tweet about this, which was as succinct as I can make it. <laughs> the left will give you the Constitution if they can have the dictionary. That's it, right? That's it. They have the dictionary. <laughs> and, and, they, and they have the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah. And, and By the way, the if you're interested in paying attention to that, I have a, I don't want to call it a fetish because I think that implies sexuality. I have a hobby. I like old dictionaries. I have like, I collect old dictionaries um, because you can find like, yes. you can find words like, oh, what did this word mean? Right, like in just monetary. I don't. I don't know why. Yeah, I assume. Oh, because Stephen was in finance. Monetary, like the word of inflation, right, has a different meaning. Right, uh, inflation did not used to mean rise in prices at all. It meant expansion of the money supply. Like that's what inflation was. The money supply has been inflated. The the concomitant rise in prices is a is a result of inflation. But now we look at prices. And we say, well, is there inflation or not? Like, well, did you print money? Then there's inflation. Like, yeah, right. But they've they've kind of changed that definition. And that was just a minor one. But and we've talked about racism. Did you say they've else, conflated they've the conflated two inflation? inflation. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> conflation. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the word conflate. Yeah. Do we have anyone who hasn't asked a question yet who would like to? Or made a comment. You don't have to have a comment. question. You can have a. And we have super chats. This is loud. Oh, you have super chats too. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's let Swiftner do his thing, and then we'll do super yeah. chats. Who cameraman? Did you ang did you angle the camera on yourself? No, I did not. So come stand in front so people can see you. You don't have to. <laughs> oh no, you want to be anonymous. Okay. I well, gotta start with a quick preamble. So three things I want to speak to. The first is that I'm here in my. A little closer. Yeah. I'm here in my capacity as a US citizen, exercising my human and civil rights. All Everything I say is strictly an expression of my own lived experience, my <laughs> perspective, and does not represent any business, organization, agency, or department. All right, for the attorneys in the room, did I cover everything? All right. Except for, your, I think you, what you said basically was you're speaking on behalf of your employer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta do this to me, Carter? <laughs> All right, so the first thing I'd say, as by way of encouragement, I know that there's we're looking at like, all right, secession, and how do we break off into our own separate communities? And I don't think it's as, it's as simple as having one lifeboat. Texas is a very big lifeboat. But New Hampshire is a smaller lifeboat. Mm -hmm. South Dakota, another smaller lifeboat. So I think the future is going to look like a bunch of areas. And this is for everyone who's like, okay, I can't move to Texas. I have roots here. It's like, okay, well, look around you. Look where, where your conservative counties, or at least your free counties versus your oppressed regions. Find your nearest free county, free city, free state that is a feasible move for you. With the millions of people in this country, if you consolidate, then Texas will have a network of trading partners on their borders or ex by extension further out. So do what you can where you can. So I'm gonna, the second thing I'm going to offer is a resource that I came into way before this. It's called SwarmWise. It's a book. It's a free PDF available on the internet. And this, the guy who wrote it was a Swedish military reserve officer who launched a political party in Sweden. It's a fascinating read. I think the broad strategy of how he goes about it was 
you got to swarm. And I think that libertarians and independents are uniquely suited to that because his rule, one of his rules of the swarm was if you can get three people to agree that this course, a particular course of action is in the interest of the broader intent of the movement, then you are free to go do that, to commit resources and pursue that course of action. So that made a lot of nonlinear forward movement because it's like people were doing things. They just talk amongst themselves like, hey, is this a good idea? Yeah, we're going to go to Texas. We're going to fortify Texas. Hey, another two or three people. Hey, New, New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah, we're today. Yeah, New Hampshire. That's where we're going to go do our thing. So anyways, swarm-wise, really, really good read. And the other one, I'm not sure if anyone's aware of this, but uh, James Wesley Rawls, shout out to Survival Blog, years before this was ever a concern in the population, the American Readout Movement, he had codified, you can find it online, and it's basically Greater Idaho is part of that, but also Montana and Wyoming. So Texas, I don't think Texas, if people move to Texas for our word of the day, Texas is not going to be alone because I think there are going to be states and counties and cities elsewhere. I'm so happy you made this point. And, and I've heard from people in some of these states who are saying, you know, we don't all have to come to one. Idaho, by the way, I, I was fortunate to be able to uh, do a trip uh, last year up to Idaho and through Wyoming and Montana and all of these places I thought had a really good independent spirit. And we we're talking about culture and, and where I happen to be in Idaho I, I was, it, it was, I would say the most free state I experienced on that whole trip. I thought it was going to be like Montana or Wyoming. It was Idaho. So I, I think South Carolina, where I'm from, I mean, we're vote, we're the state most likely to secede. Right. So, yeah. Well, look, I, I think I agree with, I agree with that. I think it's great. And when I, when I'm saying Texas, I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who's looking at all the states because I'm I'm stuck in California, so when I move, I want to move to the place I think has the biggest chance of seceding, and I don't have a limitation about like, well, Texas is out of the question, but New Hampshire is okay or whatever. So I I love what you're saying, and I I think it's perfect for individualism because you get I think those it's very organic, right? You get groups congealing, and maybe maybe you end up with a group of people that get stuck and isolated um, because they couldn't move somewhere that could secede. But at least they're all together, and maybe if they end up having to be rescued or needing to get out, they're all they have the resources. Like they've they've um, they've pooled resources, and they can they can do that. So yeah, I think it's great. Thank you for sharing. Can you give the link so to Beverly later, so we can put the link to that PDF um, that book oh, in the yeah, yeah? I'll do that. Yeah, cool. Thank you. All right, Beverly, you wanted to do some super chats before we move on, right? Okay, hello. Uh, two sisters and some yarn uh, gives four ninety nine. Says still ready to do the vaccine video that may get you booted, guys. Oh. LOL, Amy. Uh, LPA gave us a nineteen ninety nine super chat, but it was blank. So if you needed something written on there, let me know. Uh, I'll fight you naked. Says you are meeting in person and discussing secession. All of you definitely have FBI files now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we've had look. It. This is just we've also talked about. Yeah. Uh, dog grooming and we've had lots of other conversations this is just fortifying way. yeah it's been great uh, I, can i pause because mm -hmm. keith just i've actually wondered about that keith and because i haven't been in that industry for a long time should i just give up like i already have okay all right they don't throw anything 
Okay. Uh, Freddie last gave us a super sticker. Thank you. Someone complained about our video quality online, and I just Sorry. wanted to throw out that. Yeah. Well, you're welcome to come to Texas. Yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere in Texas, just for those online who aren't aware, and we're lucky to be able to stream at all. So, um, and grateful. Yeah, yeah, we're very grateful. And Channel Julio gives us four ninety nine and asks: Should states consider nullification of unconstitutional federal laws and mandates before considering secession? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, that Keith the Hat Guy gave a big thumbs up. Yeah. So I I wanted to talk um, a little bit about culturally, this, Swiftner, you made me think of this, about what people can do just locally in terms of having conversations like this. And if anybody has any experience that they want to share, I'm thinking of one person in particular who's a poet who has a story about getting groups of people together to talk, but you don't have to, no pressure. But but one of the things one of the things that um no pressure. Uh, I'm just in front yeah. of everyone, no, no. looking you, at you and you calling like you out. To, but there's no pressure. I would love to hear from you. But uh, we we started so after the 2016 election. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But I I was looking to meet people of different um just ideologies and different belief systems. And, and I had been uh, a straight down the ticket democratic voter. And after Trump won, I just, I didn't think, I didn't think he was going to win. And I was one of those people who was devastated and I was trying to understand why he won. I was also starting in, in that process of trying to understand why he won. I started to learn a lot about my ideology, social justice ideology and how it's not really liberal. <laughs> um, but, and so trying to meet other people, I started these civility dinners where we would come together and it would be people on the left and the right. We would have Trump voters and Clinton voters, non-voters, third-party voters, atheists, Christians, and we would just have dinner and have discussions. And so you can do something like that. It's not that, you know, I had to go to, um, I didn't know any conservatives. So I had to go to, I went to a Mike Cernovich meetup. I thought I would meet some conservatives there. I actually met a lot of liberals, uh, but I, and libertarians and whatnot, but I did meet some conservatives. And so you can go to places where you think, well, if I don't know someone who, who thinks differently than me, where would I find them? And, and then just start having people with these small groups. And I think little small things like that, if you can get people talking across this divide, they want us so divided. They want us so divided. And so I think those are just culturally, you can increase what you're talking about and conversations about what is liberty, where rights come from, that kind of stuff, just by having these these sort of informal dinners with people. Yeah, I love it. And I, 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 hate, I hate that this is the phrase I want to use because I don't want to borrow something from the environmentalists. But it's a good phrase. Like, I actually think globally act locally is a good phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, and I might say think universally, act locally, because I don't mean the universe. I mean, like, in terms of universal principles. But I think I'm hoping that there's a shift right now in attitude for people generally. And I can't tell anymore because you guys have created an echo chamber for me a little bit. Like, I'm a little bit in a bubble because a lot of my interactions now are with people in this community rather than, you know, people that work at Google uh, or whatever. So, um, but I'm, I'm hoping that there's a shift in a lot of Americans' hearts about, or, or just in their minds even, just about where they're focusing. Like, there was a, there's, a lot, there's a lot of Trumpism that came out and a lot of people getting very excited about Trump. But I'm hoping that there's this, it seems almost to me that there's a, 
a narrowing focus of like, hey, we need to actually work at the local level. I'm hearing more and more discussion, even in this community, about school boards and local elections and and or even not elections, just who was someone just said they did a similar thing to you, the civility dinners. They were inspired yeah. by you and they did a civility dinner type yeah. thing and right, like all that kind of stuff. Um it's all of that, I, I think that move towards more local action is good, and I think it's happening. So I would encourage it to continue to happen. Tony? Wow. So I want to just repeat that because you weren't near a mic and I don't know that the they picked it up. Tony said that Naomi Wolf recently came around. Uh, she thought that conservatives had horns, but she's, I guess, completely turned around. She no longer thinks that. I know she was on uh, Josh Slocum's Disaffected recently. Yeah. I, I think, see, that's the thing is when you, you know you're in a cult, I think, when you don't know anyone who disagrees with you, but you have a lot of opinions about them, and you think you know what they're like and what motivates them. And and uh, somebody was telling me about a study where if you looked at, was it, did we talk about this on the show? I don't think so. I think, I think I, it was, but somebody was telling me about a study where they asked people on the left to uh, answer what they thought about certain things and then to answer what they thought a conservative would say about those things. And then vice versa, they had someone on the right answer, here's what I think about these issues. How do I think a person on the left would think about them? Fill them in. And they found that they 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 both have a stereotype, an incorrect stereotype of the other. But person on the left, their stereotype is way far off from what conservatives actually are and what they actually believe. It's much further off than people on the left or people on the right. Yeah. yeah. Thomas St. Thomas. Hello. So um, to what Swiftner was talking about with the locality stuff, um, on one end, I think that in part, it might add to some of the apathy that we might see. Because when people talk about we need to move, we need to find these places, Texas, New Hampshire, I'm reminded that I went from California um, uh, to Pennsylvania. So in my move to Northeast Pennsylvania, um, I got a concealed carry for $20 and 20 minutes. Um, there's massive places of land. Um, I can go out five minutes um, down the road and hunt. People are shooting around me all the time and growing up in Los Angeles. Not in a bad way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I grew up in Los Angeles where if you hear gunshots, something's wrong. Now I'm so used to gunshots that you know it's pretty normal. And most of the people in my family, they have different opinions about different things. Um, but we don't see um, as many problems. So it's hard to convince people that, hey, we need to fortify. We need to get these places. <laughs> because in part, there's a lot of people that are living in places like where I live. And that's probably very common um, in other places, not just in the state, but in the nation. That's like, well, I really don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to do all this stuff. It's not on my front door because I'm doing what I want. Why do you guys need to get all excited about this stuff? Yeah, I I like that. Like, I think it's a good message. Um, I also think there's a counter argument, and I'm not saying you're wrong. Like, 
Beverly won't leave Pennsylvania, no matter what we tell her. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I get it. My counter argument is Randy Weaver was fine until he wasn't right. So like, yeah, it's fine for now. Um, like actually parts of California were fine for a while. You could shoot and like there, California had, I mean, you know, probably San Francisco was never very free, but I used to work for uh, the DA in Mendocino County a little bit and uh, not work, but like I did some things with him and, you know, he was, the, I can say this now cause he's deceased, but he was the kind of guy that would tip off marijuana farmers if the DEA was coming. And like, this was not, <laughs> he was trying to create Liberty in Mendocino, California, which isn't that far away from, from San Francisco. So, uh, there were, and that wasn't that long ago either, right? So while I agree with that, um, if you wait until it's obvious and really painful, it's going to be really painful um, and maybe too late. Like another analogy I could use that's even worse is like, well, they're not shoving me on a boxcar. It's like, well, when you feel the rifle butt in your back, it's too late. Yeah, and I, t I totally agree. And I, it's not that I feel apathetic. It's just that I think that's one of the hurdles that we need to get over yeah. is to um, convince people that it's not going to be too long before it creeps because it never goes the other direction. Yeah. It creeps more and more. Yeah. So Beverly should leave Pennsylvania. Is what we're saying. Um, I actually. It's not because I don't want to leave. I have. To, I've just bought a house. I've got so many She's animals. Got geese. It's gonna be, yeah. I've got a lot of geese problems. So. I actually am not going to pressure this. I may not be good for helping people overcome the apathy because it's just like with speaking out. I was in a place of being afraid to say anything for about six months after I started to realize how evil my old belief system was. And I was afraid of the things that you're going to lose. Right. And I've talked about this before. It, it ends up. I know people who are going through that fear. It's it, on the other side of it. It's so much you would never go back. It's like, oh, but I gained so much. It doesn't matter what I lost. I gained so much. But when they're in it, I completely empathize. And I don't want to make people feel, I guess I'm more of the person who's like, I don't want to make people I feel empathize, bad. Yeah. I but I empathize with a heroin addict. I'd still lock him in a room and make him like get off of heroin. Like I don't, right. I don't like that but, because I empathize. I don't want them on the box car. I know. Right? I just, I just, uh, I can already hear people being like, well, oh, I, everybody she thinks i have to no, i think no i think everybody's in a different situation and not i mean you're you can't even leave california no, right now I so and, um, and yeah like yeah. there are reasons why you can't why you can't like you can't move like my choice right now is like there's there's no way there's not even a question like i, I can't leave california but and there are people like that i'm just what i'm trying to get over is you may have a valid reason and that's fine because i do i get it but if it's just apathy and it's like really assess, are you just, is it inconvenient or do you have a dire reason why you can't actually make a movement? Because if you can make a movement, you, I, I really, again, I, I'm not, yeah. to be, not yeah. empathetic. Like it's, it's even if it's painful, it's not going to get less painful. Like if you're in a spot that feels good right now, it is not going to get less painful. It will be, I know that when I leave California, prices will be higher. It will be like, I'm going to have to suffer between now and then because who knows what the hell laws we're going to pass. Like, it will be worse for me 
later than it is now. And that's true for no matter where you are, it'll be worse later than now. So, you know, that that's all you, everyone has to make up their own decision. That's that's what individualism is about. I'm like not saying you, you know, you're not wrong for not doing it, but hold your feet to the fire, hold yourself accountable for the reasons because it hurts is not a good reason. And instead of, this is something I've heard, but instead of thinking of, I have to do, or I should do, you can start thinking of, I get to do. Whatever that place is you're going. You get to I to get Texas. to go to Texas. I mean, really, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so wherever you're at, I'm sure Pennsylvania is cool too. But <laughs> They're not even on this. They're basically not in the same state. They're on opposite ends of Pennsylvania. So they're, they're both like Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Nathan. Uh, kind of to echo some of what Thomas was saying. Um, I know I struggle and Carrie, I know I relate to some of what you talk about on the show because I'm a Christian as well. Some of the, some of the apathy, unfortunately, that I'm seeing is is among Christians because they don't they're like, well, you know, God's got everything covered. There's a plan. And, and of course, that's true. But, you know, I, I'm talking with friends of mine from church and I'll have to like I think I was con talking about the idea that, well, slowly whatever the law is won't matter. It's going to be if the mob says that it's easier, if you just go ahead and get this one person, will it'll slow down. Everyone else won't be so upset. So, you know, uh, someone will just arrest you or the sheriff. And there's various examples like that. And I told a friend that and he's, he's like, well, no, it's okay. I don't remember the exact example I was using, but he was like, oh, well, the local sheriff will take care of it. They won't enforce that. I'm like, Mm. Well, it depends. If they want to enforce it, they'll probably vote for a sheriff eventually who will enforce it, right? So, right. I, I can I, I say this as a non-Christian? I'm not a Christian, but I have read the Bible several times. I and maybe it's a question to Christians: Where's America in the Bible? Where do you think the Bible says anything about the life of America? How long the nation will last? Who will run it? What will happen to America? Will it devolve into a communist dictatorship? Like. It's not there, guys. You can metaphorically think, I think this part is referencing this part, but like there's plenty of times throughout history where good people suffered horribly. There's like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to argue with you about God's plan. What I want to ask you is question yourself about whether God's plan has anything to do with the state of America that you want, right? I did like. And I'd love to hear the Christian justification. I don't understand, I don't understand what you're saying. Well, he's saying they're using this God. Uh, God has a plan as a security blanket. Okay. Well, well so like, like I, God had a plan for Christian Christians in the God's Soviet Union plan as well. Is not and they for you died. to sit on your ass. Okay. If that, is that what you mean? God's well, plan is not for you to well, sit on I your mean, ass. It's, but, it's, but, yes, I agree with you. Right. Kind so of, what yeah. I would say is to those people, it's like you know that saying, "God helps those who help themselves." It's like. Um, which is not in the Bible, but but that is true. God doesn't want me to sit on my butt. And when I do, let me tell you, I'll just say from personal experience, when I sit on my butt, he, his plan involves more pain for me because then I didn't do anything. It's like, oh, I don't like this relationship. And maybe I should, or I don't like this job, or I don't like, I'm in this thing that's unhealthy for me, or I have this habit that I can't. And if you don't take care of that, the universe, if you're not a Christian, I can say the universe will help you take care of that eventually, or God will help. And then it's usually more painful that you, you're like, oh, because I never took care. In my, I'm just talking about things that happened to me, that, you know, take it or leave it. Your lived but experience. My lived experience is um, 
God put us, I'm not a, I'm, I, somebody asked me at the, around the fire last night, when are you going to quit saying I'm a pretty recent Christian? I don't know because I still feel pretty new and I don't feel comfortable saying as a Christian, I, but I know I, there are people I respect who I will direct you to. And one of them is um, my preacher at church on the square in Georgetown, Bradley Helgerson. And he's going to be here later today. So he's got some sermons online. If you look them up, there's one of the first ones, I think it was the first one I ever heard when they opened the church. He, it was a sermon about reaching going in. It was like, reach the city, reach the culture or change the city, change the culture. And his whole thing is like, we can't withdraw. Now it's a little bit different than what we're talking about now, fortifying, but well, you can't withdraw forever. Right. But he means like we have a responsibility and he gives, he, he gave a great sermon about how, God created man to have dominion over the earth, including culture. And for Christians to say, well, God's got this all covered, which, yes, I believe God has. I believe everything that's happening is part of God's plan. I do. But I don't think that God wants me to sit back and be like, I'm going to eat bonbons and like not be involved here on earth. Can I tell a sermon story? (laughs) I remember this from childhood. It was, I love this story, even though it's about God. <laughs> there's, there's a flood. This like my, I'm sure people have heard this before. My, I remember my preacher saying there's this flood, not the, the flood, right? There's a flood. Climbs to his roof. Like there's water ranging and he gets on top of his roof. He starts praying like, God, please, please save me from the flood. And the, this, these guys in a boat combine like, Hey, do you need to rise? Like, no, 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 I'm praying. God will save me. Like, okay. And, and he's like, pray God, God, please save me. And like, and a bigger boat comes by and they're like, dude, you know, he's getting high. He's like, no, 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 I, I, God got me. He, he prays some more, God, you know, I know you're going to save me. A helicopter flies by and they're like, you got it. This is the last moment. You got to, you know, you got to, here's the ladder. No, no, God's got me covered. And the guy drowns and he goes to heaven. And he's like, God, I prayed. I thought you were going to save me. And God's like, I sent two boats and a helicopter. Like, what, what, what do you want? <laughs> like, so it's not. Maybe the, I'm, again, I can't speak for Christians because I'm not even a Christian, but. Is it possible that the plan is uh, this thing is falling apart get in the lifeboat? Get in the Liberty lifeboat? Like, maybe that's like, the plan, guys. Get in the li- I, I, oh, go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, give him the microphone. Uh, I just kind of wanted to offer a unique perspective to this as a uh, – I was raised Mormon, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. I served a mission. I proselyted. Very familiar with the with the with the theology and things like that, um, but I wanted to answer your question as far as you know what does when you say that the Bible doesn't mention the United States or America. Well, I know uh, the Mormon Bible might. I just meant the. Uh, there's yeah, there's a difference. There is there's a a perception, or you know, this goes into the Book of Mormon and what the Book of Mormon teaches is that uh, the United States was set up by God or inspired by God in order to bring about. Uh, his church or more Christians um, and to be a bastion against uh, darkness, uh, a bastion for for uh, Christians to be able to populate the earth as long as they remember God. And I think as as society forgets God and forgets where it is and where God is or uh, forgets the principles of of morality, light, truth, that covenant, that's what that's the term that they use, that covenant is being rescinded. So is the Mormon, would the Mormons, 
would the Mormon position be you should not jump? I'm not like, is it you should not jump in the lifeboat because you need to stay here because it's this is the the country that God has a covenant with? Or would the Mormon position be he's already rescinded the covenant because he screwed it up enough? So let's go look for another one. Yeah, I think I think the answer to that would be you should have made your own lifeboat. Or if you're talking about the lifeboat being secession, back to that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Sorry, yeah. I'm talking about secession, not the six months of food you have in the basement, which is freaking awesome, which I love about Mormon. <laughs> yeah, I do, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, I, th I think the answer to that is um, do all that you can. Keep trying, but prepare yourself because eventually chaos reigns. That's, that's what happens in society over and over. It talks about it in the Bible. You know, there's plenty of times when the the when God takes his presence from earth and he waits a while, maybe people start to destroy themselves, and then he says, hey, here's another prophet. Speaking Listen of floods, guy. there was biblically yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite a few people had a hard time. Um, and he will, let, he will let you make, like, again, I do call myself a Bible newbie because I am pretty much a Bible newbie or a pretty recent Christian. But one of my women's Bible studies, one of the ladies was telling me about how in the Old Testament there are all these kings and rulers who were horrible tyrants. And there was one part she was saying where they wanted a king and God was basically like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, we want a king. Are you really? Do you know how awful they've been? Yeah, give us a king. He's like, okay. <laughs> like, if that's what you want. Like, you, God will let you make, you know, God, God will let you make, you have free will. <laughs> so you have free will. Like, use it for positive things. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna clarify something about the lifeboat analogy because I just realized while you were speaking that there's there's an imperfection in that analogy to the detriment of the argument, um, which is you can be in the lifeboat and stay in America. Like it's not a choice if you don't you don't get in the I'm not talking the lifeboat's not you know China, it's Texas. You're not abandoning. By moving to the lifeboat, you're just prepping, right? It's just prepping. That's all it is. It's having the backup plan. I'm fighting for all of America, but I'm doing it from Texas. Like, I would argue that you should still focus on fighting for Texas and get more local, but at least at least do it from a lifeboat as your backup plan because if it doesn't work out, you don't want to be in California when things go down. Kind of one other thing I was thinking as you were talking about and Carter, I think you would agree with this point, perhaps, about Christians. Christians have done a very bad job of what you pointed out earlier. We've seeded the culture in a lot of places um, for years. And it's funny because I've had conversations with my friends that are about my age. And we kind of have markers we can look back to in our lives of like, well, this is when the religious right or whatever kind of got all sensory. Or this is when we weren't allowed to watch this TV show. But then I'll talk to my dad, who's you know, and he'll think back to something decades before of like when Christians sort of stepped away and tried to be separatists from the culture. Mm. And I know that, I mean, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, be in, but not of the world, yeah. which means you, that in my mind has always meant you, you're in the world. You should not disengage entirely from the world. You should be involved in the culture, but then you should also don't for, get succumb, fortify don't get yourself pulled against, in. Yeah being of it and being absorbed into whatever is the 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 spirit of the age i think is something i've heard people say sometimes yeah. which which unfortunately is becoming more like you said immoral 
there is no truth. Everything's relative. Um, and, and if you're in the culture as a speaking to Christians, if, if you, like you're saying, I agree with you, be in the culture, but not of it because you are going to meet people and have an impact on people who are in the culture who've never heard or seen like what, what <laughs> Christ in you, who've never heard or seen that something different. Do you know when I became a Christian, I, <laughs> I had, I told one of the, the first women's Bible studies groups I was in, cause I'd been through, you know, I lived in LA, I worked with comedians and I, some of the comedians I worked with were kind of in the, you know, the whole sex positive culture and sex club stuff. And I, I've been to just, you name it. Like I've been, I've visited, I've been through many subcultures and, um, seen many things. Yes. But you know, what's the most subversive subculture I've ever been a part of Christianity. <laughs> it's like, this is so subversive and so, um, counterculture. And so it's like, Oh, that those people over there, they're having sex parties. It's so boring. <laughs> like, do you know what we're doing? We're doing Bible study and talking about how to fortify our relationships, fortify. Like, but that's so counterculture now. And that's so, um, to people who are out in the culture who are not Christian, like this is so different. And so, uh, you know, just, I think, I think people, some well, people it's counterculture. It. It's counterculture. Christian Christianity is the enemy of culture. Yeah. That's what makes it counterculture. Right? Yeah. It's the culture that's decided that Christianity is counterculture because they've attacked it. Yeah. Um, and all the other so. stuff is like, it's, it's really just kind of getting to the point of me where I'm like, I just find so much of that boring because it's so mainstream now too. I mean, we have yeah. at the Grammys, somebody was talking about last night, we have at the Grammys, people basically performing acts you would normally see in a sex club or at a stripper, you know, like, that. yeah, like that's, this is, I'm not, I'm not wap. watching. Yeah. And this oh, is, I, you know what? I read the lyrics to that song. Yeah. Yeah. So that to me is like, that's so mainstream now that it's yeah. just, Shocking is mainstream. So yeah. 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 And, and so, yeah, if you're, if you are a believer, um, I think you, I think you're supposed to be like you said in the culture, but not of it. Can, can I make it? I want, I would love for Christian uh, thinkers to think about what I'm going to say, even though I'm an atheist, I like, I think it's true. I don't think there's good arguments against this. Christianity, like what you guys are talking about, the word Christianity is too broad because, or just the Bible, it's it's too broad. There are lots of ways to interpret. It's intent, like there, it is ambiguous. It's poetry. Someone has said it already. It's poet. It's poetic. Poetic poetry. poetry is by its nature ambiguous, right? You you Christians in the room and watching. You have a particular way to interpret your religion, which resonates with individualism and like <laughs> that's mm -hmm. why why I'm a, a part of this community with you guys, like why, why we're all on the same page here, right? You have a way to interpret Christianity. It's that way of interpretation. I'm not saying it's one particular sect, like you're all Baptist or whatever. Like there, there's a bunch of different ones, but there's a commonality there in, in how you all view the Bible. And I'm just saying this as an outsider. There are a lot of Christians who think social justice is absolutely compatible with the Bible. And I know you will all argue it is incompatible and that's obvious. But it's not obvious to a, a whole large section of Christians. It's not obvious to them, which means that it's Christianity plus an interpretation that is the, the key here 
not just saying, go read the Bible. Because you can go read the Bible and decide you're a Christian and end up in a social justice church preaching social justice. I mean, the, one of my favorite bands growing up had a thing, had a, at the bottom of one of the, I'm old enough that it was a tape. And inside the tape, you know, you'd open up the thing and they would like, you had the lyrics and all the stuff and they would have messages and whatever. It, this was not an overtly Christian, it was the House Martins. Uh, I don't know if either English band. Uh, at the bottom of one of the things it said, take Jesus, take Marx, take hope. Okay, now I might say, well, Marx was an atheist and the Soviet Union is all about atheism and like how do those things go together? But there are actually a lot of Christian socialist thinkers, a lot of the, the history of, of socialism and and, and that line of thought did come out of Christianity. Like there are a lot of Christian thinkers who contributed to that. And there are a lot of Christians who, who think that is completely compatible. I agree with the counter arguments that Christians make based on the Bible about interpretation of some of those things. We've talked about like when Jesus says, you know, uh, give away your possessions, or whatever. It's voluntary. It's not for someone else to give. Like I agree with those counter arguments. Others, a lot of Christians do not, and I think we need to, you need to start. I think a Christian thinker needs to start defining what it is, what it is you're talking about, because a lot of things are justified by saying this is Christianity in the Bible, and that is not sufficient. The the Bible also talks about Christians judging fellow Christians, like brothers and sisters, differently than non-believers, and. When I read that, I forget the verse. Maybe somebody who's not a newbie knows which one I'm talking about. But when I read that, I was thinking, this makes sense to me because if someone is a fellow believer, I just naturally, I hold them to a different standard. And so I think Christians have to have to get over their uncomfortableness of calling out heresy within the church. And it is heresy to say that Jesus would support a racist ideology that tells us to treat people differently on the basis of race, to judge and treat people differently. That's evil. And if you're a social justice warrior who's not a Christian, I actually have a much more pleasant time talking with you because I'm not holding you to that standard. But social justice Christians, like, stop coddling these people in your church. Don't be afraid to tell them that is not the teaching of Christ and 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 be more aggressive about it than you would be with the non-believer. That's my opinion. I would retract what I said if the Christian community would expunge those people and say they're not Christians. Like, Fine. If you want to expel them and say and and do what Carrie is saying and hold them to higher standards and be like, you don't get to call yourself Christian. I mean, you can call yourself fine. whatever you want, well, but you know I, I mean, will but not like, have fellowship with you. That's fine. But right now, from the outside, <laughs> such a large percentage of Christians, and I'll put it in quotes if you want, uh, don't support this. They are social justice Christians, and and unless you can get rid of them from the the body of Christian or, or from, or at least make them a small enough percentage that they kind of people see that that's not really what Christianity is about generally, then, then I think you need to start having a better definition of what you're talking about because they're going to, because they're going to keep saying we're Christians and the Christian thing to do. Is I, all I view it as, so, I get so angry about it because they're, they're trying to poison, you talk about poisoning the well, they're trying to poison the antidote. They're trying to take something really beautiful and turn it into something really evil. So, anyway, hey, hey guys, hey, we should probably start wrapping up. Good yeah, I just lunch is coming. I know, um, I know, but I have to do a shout out the to cheers my cheers portion of the show. I, I'm sorry, I got to do this because I, yeah. I feel my conscience has to do this. I got to reach out to the atheists who are watching because there are a lot of atheists 
<laughs> Thank you, Keith. Um, <laughs> I will be more critical of Christianity when I move. When I move to like when we are when we are in liberty, I'm not. We'll still be friends, but like I'm going to be much more critical of Christianity. I'm not spending my energy criticizing Christianity. I just for the record, I do not think Christianity has the philosophic foundations to defend liberty. I don't think it's there. Um, and so I, I think you need something. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian. I think you need something else. Um, and I have arguments for it. I've given some of those arguments in the past. I'm not saying that we need to be Christian to be liberty minded. In fact, I'm saying we need something else. Right. And so the atheists that are listening, I'm not like, sometimes you critical. you're too like nice to the Christians. I'm like, Look, look, we need liberty. I like they get they get individual rights. Like I might disagree with their derivation of individual rights. And when we're together and having philosophic conversations, I'll argue with them about it. And maybe I'll persuade them. That's never happened. Like no one ever persuades atheists never persuade persuade Christians and the vice and vice versa. It just never happens. Um, so it's not really gonna happen. But uh those arguments do need to be made. So I don't want any hate chats from atheists. I get it. Can I say, I know we have to wrap up, but I, I, I was, I had, I shared my wrath. So let me share something positive <laughs> with fellow Christians. This is something, ah, oh, I'm still thinking about this. So the last sermon preacher gave was actually about, I can't wait till it's online. It was about, it was about appealing to the woke and talking to them. If you're a Christian about how, God is like a refuge. Like he was sort of saying woke ideology is the most uh, legalistic ideology. It's even more legalistic than some ver legalistic versions of Christianity. It's all works-based. It's all, and the work never ends. They say you're always doing the work, doing the work, and it never ends. And you're never, you're never justified and you never have grace. And it's exhausting. And he was reading some interviews with woke people where they were like asking how they felt. Um, I think it was related to that uh, racist rock that they paid $50,000 to move. And then people were talking Wait, about, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Can, uh, you have to, I know that we're late, but I want to hear the racist rock story. Okay. This college campus basically said this Wisconsin, okay. Madison, that they, yeah. there was a large rock on campus that weighed, I don't know how many tons and had was 500 years old and they paid $50,000 to to move it because um one time in 1929 in the student newspaper someone referred to it with a racial slur and so the rock was wow. moved now isn't that also fat shaming <laughs> <laughs> but but in related to that story they were interviewing they they did some kind of i don't know it was something about a a privilege walk or something and then white people i mean maybe they'll use the rock now for white people to go and stand and contemplate their evil whiteness but <laughs> but they they were asking these woke people their feelings and a lot of them are, are tired and exhausted and they and the woke religion tells them that that's more evidence of their guilt if you feel any kind of negative emotion about doing the work or anxiety or depression or isolation that, or, that makes you even you can't ex express that how dare you express that around someone who's not as privileged as you right and don't burden them with your tears and that you know and so he was sort of saying for christians 
we should start reaching out to these people that we may be considered some, maybe some Christians consider the woke their enemy and reaching out to them with like, you can lay down all that burden and lay down all that work. It (laughs) It is exhausting and take refuge in Christ. And, and I just, I'm not making, I'm not as eloquent as he is. And, uh, but I'll put that link in, in our description. Cause I thought I'm going to think more about that and about how to, um, as a Christian to, to talk about, my faith in terms of like, you don't, it's not a works based based faith. It's not like do the work and, and, you know, never reach anything. Well, (laughs) yeah, I, I know all the atheists are basically communists except for the few that I see in the room. So, uh, but Hey, if you're questioning the communism, you don't have to be religious. Just come talk to me. I brought actually some uh, gifts to give away, and I was just throwing things in a bag. And I brought a copy of Ayn Rand, and I brought a Bible. So <laughs> and I thought of you. Uh, you should read that. Anyway. You should give the copy to yourself. <laughs> um, we have a couple, couple more super chats. Thank you guys. Too. Oh, so, sorry. Everyone wants to do some super chats, okay. and then we yeah. can wrap up. Okay. Uh, the Asian Hispanic vet gives ten dollars and says, "Hi guys, love you. Hoping for a peaceful secession scenario, but not holding my breath." In my honest opinion, F. FYI, this is formerly Let Freedom Ring. I moved to Arizona. Oh, cool. Oh, uh, congrats. Well, hello. And Hitch Wagster gives us $10. There's a typo, and I'm not sure what the word is supposed to be, but it says, Carter, Christians believe in revealed truth. T, interpreted truth. Maybe not interpreted not truth. interpreted truth. This is the disconnect that is frustrating to atheists. Well, so my argument would be uh, you have to interpret the Bible. It requires interpretation. And... I get that some one set of the interpreta- interpreters say mine is the right interpretation, and I don't want to get involved in that argument. Maybe yours is, but you got to win it with other Christians if yours is the right one. And if you can't, you got to call yourself something special so we can tell who the hell you are, so we know you're not the social justice weirdos. <laughs> all right, uh, <laughs> with that. <laughs> on that note, thank you guys all for joining us for this live episode, and if you're watching at home and. Thank you, especially to everyone who traveled from great distances and and even those who are local to Texas who traveled to get here today for this. I'm so, I'm just so happy we can come together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's go eat. Yeah. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and may be subject to federal entrapment. Research shows that wearing a mask significantly reduces the risk of becoming infected with independent thought.
The next war will be nothing like Afghanistan. I promise. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.